This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. If I was walking out to my mailbox and I looked down in the borrow pit and saw a dead cat there and pulled it out, and I was getting ready to put it in the trash, and a hunting nonprofit was driving by and they started asking me for the cat, I'd be like, no, you cannot have this dead cat. Go find your own dead cat. I wouldn't give a thin fucking dime to a hunting nonprofit that's engaged in R3. Let the freaking hunting industry fund the hunting nonprofits. That's their stakeholder group. If you really want to do something for access, there is one exception. And that's Montana Hunters for Access. I got two sheets of paper here right here right now with the names of 35 ranches on them that have said that they would accept a day or two of help around the place that we can give them out of appreciation for them allowing hunting access through the block management program. Or you could start a Hunters for Access chapter in your own state. And we'd help you with that. We got a website up and everything. You know, I'm learning that all kinds of states have little access programs. And you and you could start your own chapter and find ways to say thanks to the landowners that are enrolled in access programs in your own state. In the meantime, we need help with Montana Hunters for Access. So go to Montana hunteraccess.org today and make a financial contribution or better yet sign up come out here eastern montana this summer someday and give a day your day or two of your time out of appreciation because if i see your truck out here next fall and i find out that you were up at the lake fishing while we were fixing fence, I'm going to void my bladder on your door handle. Another thing I wanted to mention was, if you really want to put the influencers on notice when you're buzzing around town or at the trade show or the rendezvous, then go to huntquietly.org and get you a Hunt Quietly hat, t-shirt, or bumper sticker. Nothing says, shut the hell up and hunt like our merchandise. Or you can make your own. It doesn't really matter. We're not making a dime off of it. But just, you know, if you want to represent for Hunt Quietly, you know, and you want it to be, do you want to make it easy? You get the stuff from us or you can make it yourself. It's up to you. This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. <laughs> I'm gonna start record I'm gonna start recording. We're talking about cats. Um this- <laughs> We're just Holly, starting up right here. <laughs> Holly Hazer. It's Hazer. That's how you Heiser. pronounce your Heiser. Heiser. Okay, like Heiser. Geyser with an H. Okay. We're just starting our conversation by talking about 
cat. So you have you have a neighbor a neighbor that has a Maine Coon cat and it comes in your cat door. No, no, we don't have a cat door, but he comes up to They're, the window. Your cats are totally indoor cats. We have one indoor outdoor, and our two newest cats are indoor only because we, it's okay. easier to keep them safer and, and healthier. Um, yeah, this guy he he walks up on our porch, and you can hear him from a mile away. He's got a very distinct row 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 row. And he just wants to hang out with them. And he'll come up and look at the girls through the window. And they'll be like, <sighs> and he's like, I just wanted to say hi. Bye. <laughs> so he's he's a goofy old boy. He's just, he's sweet. And they all sort of have this equilibrium in the cat way where they'll sit on the, the one who's indoor outdoors, just sit on the porch with him about six feet away. And if he maintains his distance, everything's okay. Mm. But if he comes close to his food or if he thinks I'm about, or if she thinks I'm about to pet him, it is all over. She mm. then she's like, "No, you out now." So what's with this thing with cats? Where like the cats at the vet are like this, but I, and I know it's just a cat thing that they do. Like at my vet, there used to always a cat or two hanging around inside. But they you go up and you pet them for a minute, and mm-hmm. and they they're all nice, and then they whack your ass. <laughs> I can't answer that one because you know what I'm talking about, though. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I have friends. I visited them recently, and I was touching their cat. And my cats are conditioned to like belly rubs. I it may actually be on Instagram. My my cat Zochi, I can roll her on her back and rub her belly, and she just wobbles like one of those noodle things that's designed to get your attention out in front of a store. She's just she loves it. Mm. Um, I don't know is why that, some cats don't that, like it. Is that unique for a cat? No, I think when I talk about this on social media with my friends, I would say about a third to a half of them who have cats can belly rub their cats. And a third of them to a half would be taking their lives in their hands if they tried to touch touch their cat's bellies. Yeah. Right. So the only thing like my cat Zochi, she does not like to be booped. I think booping is really funny. I I love watching videos of people booping like lions and panthers and stuff. That amuses me. Um, I know what that that is because I just saw you um, mimic it. But for the listening audience, what's a boop? Uh, Boop is just touching them on the nose. Okay. So... um, (laughs) It's really funny. I have one cat, one of the kittens, she's not a kitten anymore, but she loves it and then just licks her nose after you do it. And the other one flees the room if you do that. That's the only thing I can't do to her. I'm imagining I'm imagining that my very small audience only has so much tolerance for cat talk. So <laughs> uh, you are correct. <laughs> so we should probably get down to brass, brass tacks. All right. What does that saying mean? You ever think about that? I need to look if that I, up. If I, I had I to a- guess, the only thing I know of that uses brass tacks is furniture. Old-fashioned furniture, where they've got the tacks all the way around. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I see we're both hitting the Google machine right now. Brass I have tacks. A friend that had, uh, I have a friend that had a theory about it. Bef- oh, and he, he relayed this theory to me so long ago that you couldn't Google it. Um. But his theory was it was a surveying term because I guess in the middle of a surveying post, like it's sucking stuck in the ground, a lot of times there'll be a brass tack in the middle. Huh? Oh, so, I have seen like, brass tacks. Yeah. So it's like when you need to get down to the nitty gritty, get it yeah. really accurate. Yeah. You, you know. But it's I'll not- vote for that. 
I will put I will I will put five dollars on that with you because that makes more sense than the furniture one. Yeah, nothing's <laughs> only thing that's coming up is a bunch of businesses. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm, I'm not getting type. origins on that either. My favorite origin though is I love to say when life is really busy that it's balls to the wall. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, how can you say such a thing? <laughs> Although people who know me know I say horrible things all the time, but it is not the balls that people are thinking of. The phrase oh. balls to the wall is, um, I think, naval aviators. So the uh, joystick accelerator, I don't know, the stick thing that makes the yeah, plane yeah. go faster. Yep, yep. It's got a ball on the top of it. And when you push that all the way forward, you are balls to the wall. It is all the way forward. So you have pushed it all the way to the wall. So balls to the wall is an aviation term because really the other more gross thing is like, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I mean, it's just, it's kind of gross and it makes no sense. So why is that gross? I don't know. Balls to the wall. If we're talking guys. Mm. I mean, like, I I walk around around all day with a, (laughs) Set of them inside my pants, so it's what's not pressed up against a wall, Matt. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems even grosser to have them in your, right. in, your in your pants all day. Well, um, that's your problem, not mine. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, um, not one of my problems. Okay. All right. Here's something I found. Get down to brass tacks. One theory is that okay. So apparently, it's not known. One theory is that it comes from the brass tacks in the counter of a hardware store or draper's shop used to measure cloth in precise units. I could see that. So mm-hmm. they got tacks spaced out at known distances, and then you're like stretching the fabric between them. Yeah, although every fabric store I've been to, and I was actually just at one this afternoon, they just tack down a yardstick, which is a lot smarter. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, anyway, uh, another aviation one is pushing the envelope. Yes, but I don't know why it's the envelope. So when you, know, you obviously go, I, know what envelope, you, I mean, I know what the phrase means, but when you go out, what's it called? A sort, a sortie. Sortie. Yeah. yeah. When you go on a sortie, you get a flight envelope. Oh. That that stipulates what you're to do, what your you and your aviation partners are to do. I see your unit or whatever. And let's say you're out and you do it or whatever, but then a target of opportunity presents itself after you complete your mission. Mm-hmm. Then and you go and you're told to go do that. Then you're like going beyond what you were going to do. When you took off, so that's push pushing the envelope, All which right. makes sense how they use it. You know, you're like you're yeah. going that you're going the extra mile. I love the origins of these things. Yeah. That's what I loved when I I didn't start hunting until I was 41, and I loved as I worked my way, like starting in hunter education, just reading the hunter education pamphlet. I started seeing like, oh, lock, stock, and barrel. Oh, that's a gun thing. I was stunned at how many phrases that are common for us Mm -hmm. uh, come from hunting and shooting and guns. And in fact, one day I love shooting skeet alone because I'm kind of solitary that way. And uh, I went to a a place where they had voice activated, whatever. And the guy was trying to figure out if I had a friend coming or if I needed to use one of those voice activated things. And he says, do you have anyone pulling for you? And it's like, oh, oh pulling for you. 
pulling for you. Who knew? Who well, knew? How does that mean like rooting for you? Because that's how it's used. But it's helping you, I guess. I don't know. I can't think of another way. What other pull would there be unless it's tug of war? But that seems weird because that would suggest that you have a surrogate tugging, pulling for you as opposed to someone who's just helping you accomplish your goals. When I think of somebody saying, um, I'm really pulling for you, I think of that as more like I'm rooting for you. Yeah. Than, but all right. Enough with the linguistics. <laughs> we need to um, find another tangent quick. Yeah. <laughs> so the the reason why I was really interested, somebody so I somebody made me aware of you through your article that you wrote. Um uh-huh. one of your you write you've written a lot of articles, right? I write a lot. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but the one that uh they sent me was the the people are watching one and what are we showing them yeah and what are we showing them so you know the reason why that i guess the there's two reasons why that made me want to reach out to you because one is that you demonstrate in there that you see concern you have concerns for the future of hunting absolutely and you know i don't i think a lot of people don't or like they just take it for <laughs> if, you, if, a, if you live in my question. state if you live in my state maybe we should back up and sort of give people a quick synopsis synopsis of what the article is about yeah, oh, so, yeah. you know we're going here so so i write um i, I have a Substack newsletter called to the bone it's basically essays hunting food nature basically tied together by my and my partners um interests and i wrote about an instagram post your 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 romantic partner he's your romantic partner right yeah um is hank shaw who's also kind of in the hunting spheres he's a chef right yeah yeah website and cookbooks okay so and i do photography which is why my instagram handle is i shoot my dinner twice so i do food photography and i hunt so i shoot my dinner pew pew and then i shoot my dinner yeah yeah Yep. So I I did an Instagram post. I went on a sea duck hunt and the guides were using their nets that they used to pull in the ducks to also pick up the shells or the shell casings as they drifted away from the boat. And where we were hunting, there was a pretty strong current. So you have to get them quickly. And I was really glad they did that. And I, I, I got seven scoters that day. Scoter hunting is really fun. Um, and instead of showing the classic picture of seven scoters. Why is it different? Cool. Why is it more fun than other um, sea duck hunting? Um, I, okay. That's a good question. I haven't done other sea duck hunting. The only sea duck hunting I've done is in the San Francisco Bay environs, which is generally scoters. And you will occasionally get some scop, aka bluebills and buffleheads, which I don't like to shoot because I don't much like to eat them. And uh, every once in a while, a mallard flies over just to be weird. Mm-hmm. So, but the reason the reason it's fun, I can't speak to the other sea ducks, but you know, I do a lot of puddle duck hunting inland in California's Central Valley, and sea duck hunts are all about birds coming in low and fast, about twenty yards off the boat, like like th- two feet off the water, twenty yards out from the boat. And 
you will go through three boxes of shells because they are really hard to hit. And I'm really good at crossing shots. That is my strong suit as a wing shooter. I'm good at dove. I'm good at ducks flying straight crossing shot and scoters. I'm, and still they humble me. So it's kind of an exciting hunt. Uh, they're a really cool looking bird. They're a big bird. Um, and, you know, I do one scoter hunt a year. For some people, it's the hunt of a lifetime to go out and to be in a place where they can hunt scoters. Anyway, so instead of posting a picture of seven scoters, or, you know, the classic gripping grin, which I've done in the past before, and I still do in lim- more limited um, limited venues. I post to my friends on Facebook, not Instagram, which is, you know, for the whole world to see. So I posted this picture of the guys. Well, you could have shells. a private, you can have a private Instagram account, can't you? Yeah, it's just too much work because sometimes I do want stuff to be public. Anyway, so I just I posted them picking up the shells. And so I wrote this post for To the Bone about how my Instagram, how my public social media posts have evolved. And part of it is because of the sensibilities of people. Um, So I still post pictures of birds that I've killed. I rarely post a picture of seven ducks for a lot of reasons. One of them will resonate with you. It's like, if I shot seven ducks, first thing people are going to want to know is where, and I hunt very crowded places and I don't like blowing up my spots. Um, But also some people really don't like that. And I used to think hunting photos were super like dead animal photos with people like "Ah, grinning, look at this animal. I just, you know, bloodied. Um, People don't, people really react pretty badly to them. So I've started posting more stuff that's the environment. So I hunted marshes. Marshes are really gorgeous. Um, and so I hunt my sh- post marsh pictures. If I get a really pretty duck, we have gorgeous ducks here. So um, gadwall, pintail, widgeon, green winged teal. You can post a beautiful close up without showing, you know, its vacant eyes and blood everywhere and its head lolling. I mean, you can show a picture that's pretty that sort of captures the environment and tells the story without putting out the super gross stuff. Um, So I posted about this. And also in California, we have, there are a lot of people who are either hostile to hunting or hostile to um, hunting practices in a way that could seriously damage hunting. So for me, it's really important when I go out and hunt like that and I see my guide picking up trash, well, we get a lot of crap for the trash that we leave out there. And I think what people don't understand about hunting is your shell, in this case, shoots out in the water and the current carries it away right away. There's also growing concern about plastic wads and the plastic wads you really can't retrieve, not out there. And when you're hunting, you know, I pick up what I can. I miss a lot of mine, but I pick up others people, other people's. I try to try to even it out. So I was posting that because people are watching and I want them to see, yeah, there's people who are who care and are conscientious about um, wanting to pick up litter. So the post was about those two things, about trying to post positive things so that people who are uneasy with what we do can see that it's more than just out there killing shit and grinning while it's all bleeding and maybe still alive. I mean, I think you and I are totally on the same page about that, that there's, there's a lot of problems with that. Well, so that okay. Yeah. 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 Sure. I agree with that, but we, we agree on what the problems disagree on what the problems are. Probably I am like, it's clear from your writing that you are concerned about non-hunters and anti-hunters and that's not my that is not where i am at in the least well and you could you could we could just put a map i mean people are just hearing the audio on this but if we put a map up here the map explains where you and i are 
you're in Montana and the biggest problem you have is the problem that you are fighting right now. And that is the fact that lands are overcrowded and, and hunting gets hyped and that makes it harder for everyone who's been working at it for years. I live in a place where there are people who actively want to take this away from me. You live in the state with the most hunters per capita. Last I checked, it's been a little while, so I may be off on that. I live in the state with the fewest hunters per capita. So we are in danger here of losing things all the time. And moreover, I can tell you when we lose forms of hunting, for example, when this state banned hunting bears with hounds, they used hunters own YouTube videos against us. Oh so, yeah. I'd say that we're okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> lots, of, lots of, we could talk about this is like, I'm like <laughs> where I'm at with it is. Yeah. I'm not that concerned about the antis. Yeah. Um, but I'm opposed to hunting media, hunting social media for other reasons. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it seems like whether you're opposed to hunting social media, because whether you have concerns about hunting social media because of the antis or other reasons, mm-hmm. why just not just do away with it? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, I feel like uh, Pandora's box is open. And I, I firmly believe that we would largely, in our society, be better off with social media. I see it has been used for a lot of harm. I see it has been weaponized. I have a huge number of concerns about it. But I love my social media in the ways that, like my Instagram account, I'm not a big deal. I have 3,500 followers. I don't try very hard. I don't post every day. Um, I just like, here's, I I post pictures of my hunts, my cats, and my mom who has dementia. My sister and I go out with her. So we always do like big selfies wherever we are and and post those pictures. And that, that's pretty much it. That's kind of what I do. But my Facebook social media has been a huge source of uniting me with friends all across the country. Um, sharing ideas with my friends who are hunters, staying connected through messaging systems. So that's the part of social media I love. I love, I could watch cat videos all day long. People mock that as a sign of stupidity, but I think cat videos are funny and we could all use a whole lot more funny. Yeah. So that stuff doesn't trouble me at all. But I think a lot of it is there's the influence of money in social media. I, I wonder I, I mean, the only thing when I, I just want to be clear, it. like the only thing I, uh, the only thing I oppose is dead and dying animals. Oh, is that all? I thought, I thought you said you had concerns about food photos too. Uh, well, that's a dead animal in my mind. <laughs> okay. So, well, what if I put a picture of a hamburger? That's a dead cow. Dead and dying wildlife. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, and the reason, the reason, well, I mean, I, my, you, if you, do you, can you rehe- can you do you know my reasons? Like, I mean, my audience sure is my the five people listening to this sure will. <laughs> I mean, I know I know what I've read. I've 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 read your writing on this, and I know your concerns. But go ahead, just because if someone's listening to this podcast for the first time, they should hear you lay it out. Because it causes privatization of wildlife is the number one reason. Yeah, interesting. So. Let me ask you this. Occasionally I post. Could you see, do you see the connection there? Um, 
I think for a food photo, a finished dish photo, I have a harder time seeing that connection. Um, for photos where people are constantly talking about places where, I mean, and I'm like, if people haven't figured out this, this out yet, I'm a bird hunter. I'm obsessed with birds. I don't, I hunt big game infrequently. I've killed like maybe eight big game animals and, you know, 17 seasons of hunting now. So, so different thing that when you post pictures of people being successful all the time, it makes people want to copy and that it increases competition. And yeah, the, the concern about privatization. Um, yeah. People start throwing money at the problem. I want to shoot more stuff than Susie. So I better get a bigger lease than her. I, yeah. I also need to shoot seven ducks or, you know, however mm-hmm. many quail or 15 doves. Um, and yeah, so and think- like there's what two hunting bands. I mean, there might be like a method, some method to take bands, but I'm aware of two outright bands in the whole country one being mountain lion in your state and the other being black bear in um in washington whereas i'm aware of privatization of wildlife like the ridiculously high level of leasing in eastern states to the exclusion of the vast majority of the hunting community there i don't think that that would have everybody's everybody's um crammed onto some little wildlife management area while yeah. the the a few, a few hunters of means have been attracted to hunting by all the hype and the ability to brag about it on social media have sucked up all the access for themselves so that's a nationwide mm-hmm. problem we got two hunting bands you know that's unfortunate but what i see is uh a, a, a much bigger problem that nobody will talk about yeah, and I think some people do, but I think you have accurately stated the problem is that people aren't going to talk about it if they're profiting from it. Yep. So and and everybody that has a voice, everybody that can talk about it and have people hear it is profiting off of it. Yeah. Yeah, we we have a really different situation in California, although uh my friend Phil Borgeli field and stream writer and editor he uh he lives in iowa and he's horrified at what duck hunters will pay for a piece of duck hunting land here we've got people who lease blinds and rice fields which is not my favorite way to hunt but you know it's one way to hunt assuming you actually have water and the rice was planted which was a huge issue at the start of this year before the entire state flooded um and then we have a lot of duck clubs wait wait, what you're saying the situation in iowa is different than in yeah, he doesn't have to pay to go hunt dogs. Oh, so you're <laughs> already I, resigned to having to pay. Um, Yeah, although, uh, so there's tiers. I mean, you can get a private duck club, which is actually a real estate investment. You can lease a blind in a rice farm, which is just a straight up lease. You don't have an ownership share. Um, you can have lucky access to private land, which almost no one does anymore. There's very few really great places like that, or you can hunt public land. And we have incredible duck hunting public land in California. And I tell people it's crowded, but it's not crowded in the same way that you experience, Matt. It's crowded in that there's a lot of us trying to get in and not everyone can get in. They actually manage really carefully how many people can get in because oh. they don't need a bunch of duck hunters crowding on each other. I mean, we do. I, when so I hunt what, public land, the, I'm always in sight of other hunters, several other hunting parties. So but it's, it's not, so it's good. Not, it doesn't matter. Okay. Okay. So yeah. by crowd, you mean like, okay, so there's a lot of folks out there, but what you what you mean, I guess, is that you have to wait your turn. 
I have to wait my turn or get lucky. So we have a system where you can apply for a reservation. That's like a lottery system. You pay a few bucks to, to enter and then you get drawn. And the best places, the odds can be 300 or more to one to get a draw. And then you have a lottery system where you go to the refuge the night before and you put your name on a list and then they do a draw from that. So they let all the reservation people in first and then they let the lottery in people in until it runs out of space. And then after that, you wait in what they call the sweat line, which is the lottery is free. The sweat line is also free. So you wait for people to finish their hunts in the morning, come out, and then you just fill right in behind them. So um, can you imagine you- from my perspective how I can listen to that and think that we need hunting promotion? <laughs> no, I'm dead well, serious. Yeah, yeah. No, I, so, but here's the and thing. how unjust hunt, hunting promotion is to the people waiting in that line that aren't making money off hunting and just want to go hunting. Yeah. But I mean, okay. I don't know how much you've read about me, but I'm a hunting mentor. So I love helping new people hunt and I like helping new people hunt because I didn't hunt until I was 41. My dad quit hunting before I started. So I did not grow up in a hunting household, which means I had none of the learning, none of the financial support, none of the gear support, none of the social network. I had none of the things you get when you are privileged to be born into a hunting household. So when I watch adults try and hunt, I don't, I'm not a kid person. So I don't, then my language is terrible for children. So I, I I focus on adults. So I see them and they're trying to, they're like, I want to try this. They want to fit it in their busy lives. They don't know where to start. They don't have the gear. They don't know where to go. The regulations are baffling. I mean, waterfowl regulations are truly baffling. So I spend a lot of time helping new hunters I help new hunters who can turn around and compete for, for with me for those spots. Uh, there's there's people I've been and with. Just I, you, you foisted all those people on others. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think that. And they turn around and help other new hunters. They're such assholes. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, what about the people that don't like just, you know, well, don't want here's... don't want more comp. Like you, it's like, it's, it's not just you. It's, oh, I know. it's, it's all y'all. It's all yes. y'all that like you go like I have decided that's what's what's best is that for the existing hunting community to have less opportunity. I have decided I want it to be h- harder for them to get a spot on public land during the draw. Well, doesn't isn't that a little presumptuous? But isn't it presumptuous to say that other sh- people who are interested in it shouldn't be helped? Because you know what happens when you don't help them? No, no, They go no. out and shoot cormorants and curlews. No. Which, by the way, if you're not a waterfowl hunter, those are illegal and not tasty. Well, okay. Yeah, I'm all about helping people learn how to hunt that have uh, a desire to oh, learn yeah, yeah, how yeah. to hunt. No, no. I don't I'm, recruit. I, what, I, what, I do, what, what I oppose is making why is my face doing weird stuff you see that <laughs> oh my you god you might be on boomerang or something that is weird that's gonna be hard for you to look at it's hard for it's, me to look at it'll be all right it's kind of funny i might giggle a little bit jeez what is that did i hit something <laughs> i don't know man what i, I oppose okay so what so what i oppose is uh is um making people be interested in in, in the first place Okay. Well, and that's not when I do work on, there you go. You look normal again. Um, when I do well, this, rel- <laughs> relatively speaking. <laughs> okay. So when I mentor people, 
it's people who already want to hunt. And I used to work for an organization yeah. called yeah, California but, Waterfowl. But and when we advertised part. our programs, we advertised it to existing hunters. And it's like, hey, you got someone who wants to learn how to hunt. You don't have the patience to teach them. Send them our way. So that's the people. It is so hard to recruit people to take someone who doesn't know they want to hunt and make them want to hunt. That is a huge, huge lift. Because even taking someone who does want to hunt and getting them to hunt, I have done this. Like I started helping people probably two years after I started hunting. So that was probably like 2009. I started in 2006, fall of 2006. Um, And it's safe to say I have touched in some way hundreds of hunters or hundreds of new hunters at events that my former organization held. I've done some, my formal informal things myself. I read, I saw this on your website. Or on a website. What was that organization? California Waterfowl. So it's a nonprofit hunter-based conservation org. Think Ducks Unlimited, but for the state and with a a different set, a different mission than DU. DU is just Habitat. Habitat, Habitat, Habitat. California Waterfowl is advocacy. And R3, R3, R3. No. Yeah. I don't think. What what do they put into R3? The R3 coordinator for the whole outfit lives 50 miles from me in a little town called Coal Strip. Interesting. I haven't really seen any R3 programs from them. CWA had them and mostly they have they've they went away with COVID and have not come back yet. So but anyway, so through CWA, doing stuff personally, just having people reach out to me personally, um, I have touched hundreds of new hunters, hundreds. And I'm trying to think of how many of them are actually competition to me now. And I would say fewer than 10. Why is that? What ha- Why aren't they? Because it's hard. Oh, like okay, they, didn't, so they didn't stick with it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not, it, they didn't stick with it. They either found it too hard or they concluded it wasn't worth the effort they had to put into it. Because, you know, I don't know what your backyard looks like, but most of us in California live in big urban areas. I live in Sacramento County. It's urban. I'm in a suburban neighborhood, quarter acre lots. There's no place I can walk with my gun out here. I mean, I could walk to my car and no one's going to rat me out on my street because it's, it's a, it's a street that has some guns on it. But um, for me to go hunting, my hunts, the closest place I can hunt is half an hour away. And because it's half an hour away and close to the county that has the most duck hunters in the entire state, that one's pretty crowded. So typically I will drive an hour and 15 minutes away. And then when I had a lot of problems with those sites this year due to flooding and just a lot of weird stuff going on in that part of the valley, I drove to a place that was two hours away. Um, there was one day I had a stellar hunt, stellar I got my limit with 11 shells in an hour. It was my best shooting ever. The flight was incredible. I still spent 12 hours on that from getting up in the morning, making the drive down there, getting on the list, sitting in the parking lot for three and a half, four hours to get in, driving to my spot, and then hiking to my spot with all my stuff and then setting up and then like turning it all around again. So it is a huge investment of time here. There is, there's very few people here who can walk out their backyard with a gun. You can't, you can't even walk out in your backyard and throw a few clays and shoot them. You have to go to a shooting range and good luck finding a shooting range because they keep shutting down because the you know, the cities they live, they live, they're located in start getting really hostile to them. A lot of shooting ranges have shut down. So if you want to be a hunter here, it's really hard. 
you have to be pretty dedicated and people's lives are really busy. And, you know, once I started hunting, it took over my life because I don't have to ask anything. And, you know, some people can go into hunting and half-ass it and be like, oh, I'm going to go duck hunting twice a year. Um, but if you really want to be successful at it, you have to put a lot more than that into it. So um, I just don't see a lot of people sticking with it because it's just, it's hard. And maybe it's that they don't have the support, but everyone I see who really wants to do it does it. And they're, they're little maniacs, man. It's like, I'm, I'm in a women's group. That's a lot of new and newer hunters. And I, I watch the women in there who are just like, wow, you are badass. You are going at it and you are really, you are really getting yours. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I've great, I've, I've helped create a, a few of, these, of those monsters, but in yeah. that time, in that same How many time of these, frame, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. In that go. same time frame, you know, since 2009, hundreds of women that I've helped in some way or another, only, you know, maybe 10 of them are really avidly hunting that I can see. And I sort of maintain social um, network, uh, social media ties with them. Um, then you contrast that with how many people I have seen out there who are hunters who the, or the existing hunters who have aged out or moved out or just stopped. So we're not, I can tell you, we are not replacing ourselves as hunters in California. Our hunter numbers continue to dwindle. We had a great COVID bump and just like the great recession bump in 08, you know, it started settling back down. So, you know, we are in a situation where we are losing it and, here in particular, that's troubling I, to me because okay, when you're I my... gotta stop you there. Like, okay, you're talking about having to the the ridiculous um the the the, the supply of hunting being so outstripped by the demand, and then you're talking about dwindling hunting numbers. So it's like I can't. I know, you right? You gotta help me. You okay, gotta help me. So you got to sit there all day and you might not even get a, and get on a roster and all this bullshit. And then the next <laughs> breath you're talking about how, like, there's no hunters. Like, I know. So help me. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't understand that. Well, there's, I don't understand. It'd be like, if you're talking about it, this, like, I don't, I don't want to sit around all day on a fucking bench on the hopes that I get to like, sit there. Oh, I hope my name gets called. Right. Okay. No, no one does. And so, I think and then, so, I've always made it in. I've always made it in. The persistent make it in. That's the thing. I mean, if you're a duck hunter in California on public land, if you don't have the money to buy into a club, and our clubs range from, you know, a lease for 1600 bucks a year for rice to a club that costs millions to buy into. I mean, there's that. That's there's a there's a wide range of those things. But there's yeah, two things. That, this guy was just emailed me the other day and said he's talking he's talking about how in California. He like he said uh one of these places he used to hunt now it's like they it's all flooded corn so none of the public land has ducks anymore because this outfitter put all this flooded corn in in california yep the basin i've hunted waterfowl in my entire life has been forever changed by an outfitter that advertises quote over 40 flooded corn ponds oh, no, the advertisement is usually published right in the annual fish and game rules pamphlet rich dudes pay 450 dollars per gun per day ducks that used to eat dry land crops and rest on public water are now literally sucked into a 10,000 acre flooded corn complex where they're in california yeah 
You sure that's California? Because yep. I just found yeah. a, I just found a hit on that in Washington. No, this guy's from California. <laughs> Interesting. Um, we we have we have some one... flooded corn, but not a lot in oh, this okay. state. Yeah. Okay. So, but back to your key question: the cognitive dissonance of our hunter numbers. Our hunters are dying out, and yet it's really crowded. There's a couple things going on. The system for getting into the refuges has increasingly gone online. It used to be if you wanted to apply for a reservation, you get a postcard and you fill out some stuff and you write a check and you send it into the state and they plug it in and then there's a draw and they send you a letter if you get it. Well, now you can buy online. So you just go click, 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 click. And you can drop over a thousand bucks for the year if you want to apply for everything, everywhere, every time. Um, so it's a lot easier to apply. So that has driven up that kind of competition. The other thing I think we see, and DU had a great article about this, I think a year or two ago, where they talked about what's going on with duck hunting access. Why does our duck hunting feel so freaking crowded when we know duck hunter numbers are plummeting? And that is that we have lost what we would call the marginal lands. So you live in the hills, you've got a little creek or a pond where you can jump a couple mallards or a couple wood ducks and it's good enough for you. Or like I have a friend whose family is cattle ranchers and they have a pond and it's really fun to, it is super fun to jump ducks on cattle ponds. It's a blast. But you know, people in that region are buying out the land. And then, you know, someone from the Bay Area comes in, cashes in their bazillion dollar house and lays a bunch of money down on some land with a vineyard and a little pond on it and posts no trespassing signs. So I think what we're seeing here is all the marginal places where you used to be able to go kill a few ducks, they are disappearing. So we've got public land. We've actually got more public land. I have seen, I, I love doing fun stuff with data. So I run numbers on duck harvest and hunter participation. And, and we have added a ton of public land duck hunting opportunity. I know in this state, we have increased the quality of the hunting opportunity because we've planned, we've just packed these places with waterfowl food. I mean, it's really good duck hunting. My friends get pissed off when I complain acres? about a bad day. Have you added acres? They, yeah. Has California added acres or increased the, increased the quality both. of the, okay. So we've how, done, we've done both, but the adding of acres is yeah, coming how, at the expense of private duck clubs because okay. they are selling to the state or giving to the state. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So ranches. And in fact, the organization I used to work for, California Waterfowl, I think you would appreciate this about them. They have a program called the Hunt Program where they give people access to private land also through a lottery system like the state does. So someone will contract with them and say, hey, we want to do a hunt. We want to give away a hunt on our ranch, um, in our duck club, at our rice blind, whatever it is. And so the California Waterfowl, uh, I don't know the latest data because I don't work there anymore, but it was like 2,800 hunt opportunities a year so it was a really substantial meaningful thing to okay. add that kind of opportunity who's giving this away that's california waterfowl they don't give it away i mean they charge for it and then if you win a hunt it's 25 bucks to hunt but it's another place to hunt besides public land so so basically so and and people Wait, have given duck you're, clubs you're to that doing organization a lot. you're giving too. us a lot right now like, <laughs> i do just, that just, sorry let's I just want to make sure I understand. Before we attempt any forward moves, let's let's uh, let's rehearse where we've been just a <laughs> tiny bit. Like, okay. how many acres are we talking about that have got, come that were private and are now public? That I can't answer because 
I have never really researched that. But for example, why would a hunting club give land to the? Okay, well, in the case of California Waterfowl, which owns now six duck clubs, five of which were given to it, essentially some with elaborate trades, and one of which it bought. Um, With the duck clubs, often you have an owner who's elderly. Uh, His kids aren't interested in hunting. It's going to be a tax write-off if he donates to the organization. He knows the organization will take care of it and that will get hunted and people will get to use it. Okay. So that's so cool. in on the on the on the nonprofit side, that's what you see there. And that is a wonderful thing. People always want to give land to that organization and the organization puts it out there where people can use it. It's a lovely democratization. With the state, I'm less familiar with the processes, but I mentioned that place I can hunt half an hour from my house. Um, it's the Yolo Bypass Wildlife Area. It's, you can see downtown Sacramento from it. There's a deep water shipping channel. Sometimes you can see the tops of ships going by when you're duck hunting. It's super weird. Mm. And it started out as a fairly small piece of land when I started hunting in 2006. And I kind of feel like based on the hunt maps I've looked at that it has doubled in size. And it provides the second most, last year at least, the second most hunting opportunity for duck hunters in the state. So it's a really big, important place. And they have added to it by acquiring one way or another, I don't know how, the, all the, all this adjacent land. So it's like farmland in a flood, flood bypass area. So that's how they have added land. So they have added land, hunters have shrunk, access has, access to the marginal areas has disappeared and more access and information is online. For example, the place I hunted this winter, I'd been cultivating a place for a while and all my areas got flooded out. So I'm like, okay, I have to go hit that place. And someone wrote about it in a newsletter. And then the state posted averages of how many ducks people were getting there. And then pretty soon everyone was there. And by closing weekend, it was, it was really hard to get in. So there's, some of the competition comes from the fact that the state has never done a better job of putting information out there that people can use to make decisions. It used to be really opaque and it's like, oh, I'll go try hunting here. I don't know what to do. But now not only can you hunt there, but you can look at your satellite maps and say, that looks like good habitat. And that's a two mile walk. So if I walk there, maybe no one else will work that hard, which is Mm -hmm. my strategy. I just try and outwork people. Um, and, And so it creates... It creates this competition. It's it's it is. I, I agree with you <laughs> that it is a really weird thing that we can have on the one hand diminishing hunter numbers in California, and on the other hand this intense competition. And well, it sounds people, like it sounds like in in your hunt plans when you're figuring out where you're going to hunt that the amount of other hunters that'll be there. And applying for the spot you're going to go or just be there is a major factor in your decision making, right? Yes, because I want to go where I have the best chance of getting in. So, for example, uh, uh, I'd say anytime, anytime that a hunter says to themselves is in a, operating in a situation where it's like that is a major factor. How many other people will be there? That is a fucking awesome reason for that person <laughs> to be opposed <laughs> to hunting promotion. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, the, the the dominant factor dictating where I go is how many people might be there. 
Um, and I'm going to do hunting promotion. I just don't understand that. But I think it would be it would be interesting to suss out which factors contribute most to the crowding. I would say the electronic access to both results and to applications is a huge part of what's going on. And and here's the thing. I I come in contact with new hunters who reach out to me for various reasons, but there's all kinds of other new hunters who show up at these places who I don't know why, although you'll love this. I did meet one guy closing weekend who started hunting because he watched Meat Eater. He was looking for a cooking show on table on cable and thought it was a, ca- a cooking show. And he's like, oh, well, that's interesting. And then he decided he wanted to hunt and then he started hunting. Um, oh, that's like hunting media as, I don't my mind is like to argue that that has, isn't the dominant factor bringing people into hunting, hunting media and hunting television, hunting social media. It's like. I dismiss it on that on its face. It's, I mean, yeah, that, that may be a fair right, thing, but that's a separate, right. that's a separate issue from my duck hunting spots being crowded because also, no, I don't think is, so at all. You're well, talking, you're, they would, <laughs> you're saying in what I'm hearing is you, you're saying that the, that the, the information that's provided causes your spots to be crowded, but that's mm-hmm. one level below those people wanting to duck hunt in, in the, the first, first place. place. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Like I, I love data. I really love data. Um, and I have not seen data about what made new hunters want to try because want to get into hunting. And I look at the people I know and some of them, it's just something they always wanted to do. Some of it, it was, they followed, you know, that you know, like the guy I just met, he's watched Meat Eater, and it's like, oh, I could try that. Um, for me personally, it wasn't social media because thank God it wasn't really. It was pretty, uh, pretty, uh, pretty early when I started. Like it was 2006. There was hardly any social media. Um, for me, my boyfriend he invited me to hunt forever, and then he we moved to Sacramento, and he started finally started killing ducks and. Um, God, they just tasted so good. It's like, okay, I'm ready to start hunting with you now because this tastes amazing. I had never thought of myself as a hunter because I just didn't have any hunting influences around me, but he always made it clear to me. It's like, oh no, you can do it. And I think that's what social media does. It's like, that's a person who looks like me or I relate to in some way and they can do it. So I can do it. So, so yeah, I, you know, I'm willing to accept that I don't know how how big of an influence it is, but I'm willing to accept that it's a substantial influence, but I still got to tell you in my state, it's really important because if we weren't recruiting new people, what we would have is the same people we've always had. And let me tell you that being an overwhelmingly white male institution in this state, don't fly, don't fly with our policymakers at all. It does not work. And so if you look at something that is overwhelmingly white male in this state, you automatically have lost cred because that's the patriarchy, right? So we need hunting in California to be diverse. It's really important. We need it to be a lot of women as well as men. And we have a metric fuck ton of women who hunt here. So we're good on that one. Um, we need ethnic diversity. We're getting that. That guy who was inspired by your brother's show, Latino. We need him there. That's that's really important because this state is overwhelmingly, I think it's like 
40% Latino. So, you know, for us to have credibility in the halls of power, the people in the halls of power need to see that we look like them in every way whatsoever. We also need, like, I'm really into um, political diversity too. Like, (laughs) it also doesn't really fly to be ultra conservative in California. So we need Democrats who hunt. We actually have a ton of liberal hunters here. Like, they have to keep really quiet about it though, because it's not popular to be a liberal hunter, but we have a ton of them. That diversity, without that diversity, we are dead. We are completely dead. I don't think hunting media is doing you any favors with diversity. I'll tell you. Well, no, no, but hunting media, no, but hunting social media here, you know, when you Mm, look at people. Here's why I, here's my case there. Um, I don't think, I think hunting media is terrible for DIE, for diversity, inclusivity, and, and, and equity. Why? Because if you look, because all hunting media does is drive up the cost of hunting. And if you look at the wage gap, who's that going to price out? Yeah, but not all people who are, I hate, I can't use the term minority here because they're not minorities here. So I would say non-white and then I get chided for that, but uh, they're not all. Poor. When I say the wage gap, I'm talking about the wage gap between white men and everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. But this is also so in this media, state. Hunting media causes it to be an all white guy thing. No, 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 absolutely not. I absolutely 100% not here. I mean, the people I see coming into hunting, if they say they're inspired by social media and from my situation, more of what I see is people who came to my boyfriend's website because they were looking for recipes. He's got recipes for uh, forage things, garden things, hunting, uh, fish and, and wild game. So they come there looking for a fish recipe or something to do with their morels or porcini. And they see all this stuff about wild game and they get interested in that. So not quite the same thing as social media, but still something that's really internet fueled. So I'll just sort of, you know, feel fine lumping that all in that category. And we absolutely see diversity um, coming in through that. Um, yeah big time uh and it's here it's here it's just it's not it's not as diverse as the state is yet hunting isn't as diverse as the state is yet but we're definitely we my friends that i i mean i i organize uh with my friend Roommap a an annual hunt that got canceled this year due to flooding but it's called the black heritage hunt so we organize a hunt to help um that's really targeted toward black hunters who are new hunters, um, but it's open to all. And, you know, we have a group of people. We have, um, we have a Instagram pay, Instagram account. We have a Facebook group for black heritage hunters. And so it's a group of people who are supportive of each other and talking about bringing their friends into it. And I know that when Rue posts on social media that she hunts her friends who have always been like, Hmm wonder what that's like it gets them interested because they they think they can try so it, that's one reason i'm not going to poo-poo the 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 notion that social media has an impact but it is absolutely a reason i'll say that it's not keeping this institution white but you know i live in california like we're we we don't just keep all our non-white people in in poor I areas did, we did. have people who are thriving and and succeeding as well yeah. uh, oh, but still you like data the gauge, the wage gap is pretty clear. Yeah. Well, yeah, the wage gap look, is clear for women too, but somehow yeah, I suck I, it up I, at I, Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I think that I think there'd be way more opportunity out there for diverse groups that um, of any so on any rung of the socioeconomic ladder, 
if it wasn't for all the hype, if it wasn't for hunting TV and social media, then and so and it's, like, two edges, it's two edges of the same sword, though, because on the one hand, you know, someone sees my friend Rue post about going on a deer hunt. It's like, wow, I could do that too. So, so that's what makes them interested. And then, you know, in turn, this same process could lead to the interest that jacks up the cost of it. So I don't know how you split those apart. And more importantly, I mean, the more important question to me, because I feel, I I frequently feel an overwhelming sense of despair about social media in general. I think your despair is quite focused and and mine is super general about what it does to society. Well, it's fucking up this thing that I devoted my life to. It's bastardizing (laughs) this thing I devoted. It's, It's destroying the integrity of this thing that I done since I was five years old. If, if, if I could have known, if I would have known when an outward facing fucking hot, Hey, look at me, be like me. Aren't I great? Look at my great fucking food that I'm making in the big bull I shot thing. <laughs> yeah. I would have, I would have way, way like to think that I would have picked a different thing to do when I was a little kid. Like when I was a little kid, I got teased because of how much I haunted. Wow. And now everybody's like, it's like everybody's dick measuring competition and just fucking disgusting to me, man. But well, uh, and yeah, those, those aspects of it, I definitely dislike deeply. I am 100% with you on that. Like the, the, the poor motivations, the, the, the narcissistic qualities, the, the monetization, the whole, influencer thing uh yeah those those things drive me a little bit crazy but how do you put the genie back in the bottle that's the thing because when i when i think about my despair about social media i see all the forces of social media because i mean the problem is it's not just hunting social media it's all social media because what's happening here is happening in every other field as well and there's larger forces driving it and it's not just that hunting celebrities and influencers can make money off this it's yeah, but it's way mark more zuckerberg makes money off of this yeah. i mean that's it's, the thing okay so how it's do you undo way that? more perverse in hunting than we're, we're not talking about bragging about a soccer trophy that's different or a kitchen remodel you know it's 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 just a it's like it's we're not using someone's prowess at an athletic enterprise to sell tennis shoes we're using dead animals that are ostensibly harvested for food to sell products yeah right but it's still part of a larger trend in society we're encouraging people to shoot as many animals as they can because that way the the people wanting to sell the products will give them more shit and more money yeah, that's gross. I, you know, not just not going to argue with with you on that. But I still don't know. I mean, I, the antis ever get their hands on that, and I'm willing. I, I'm tempted to to clue Peta into it. Oh, Peta, yeah, you yeah. want Peta? You want something to focus on? Focus on people like Cam Haynes and Aaron Snyder and and, and John Dudley, um, shooting thirty big game animals a year. To keep their Instagram feed rolling. Yeah. There's a level at which I hope the antis win. You know, 
I would yeah, rather... but it's going to screw me long before it screws you. And then I'm going to move to your state and you're going to bitch about the fucking Californians coming in and you will have precipitated it. So don't do that. Okay. I want to back up. I want to back <laughs> up a couple topics here. Okay. I want to go back. Okay. So what I'm hearing is you don't want Latinos and blacks and other minorities and women to hunt because of some like virtuous thing where they it's it's um reversing some injustice from the past you want that them to hunt because it'll protect your hunting i would say you even wrote an article saying that (laughs) um there is one article called helping new hunters is not selfless so i just want to be clear that you're doing you're wanting minorities and women to hunt to protect your hunting. So and I, I don't want them to hunt to protect my hunting. <laughs> I don't want anyone more to hunt. Yeah. And not just mine. I'm con- principally concerned with the existing hunting community, whether you've been hunting for a half hour or 30 years. And that's why I'm opposed to anything that brings more people in. So I, to, to the diversity question of my motivations, I have a couple motivations. One of them in this state is it's devastating for us to be a white male institution, and that needs to change. The other part of it is, and I can send you a link to this if you're interested, but um, the interest in hunting across ethnicities is almost completely uniform with the exception of Native Americans who have an interest in hunting about twice as high as um as oh, all the other ethnic groups. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, it's real. I'll, I'll send you. I did an infographic on it because I love data and infographics. Um, so the interest is there, but what many of those groups suffer from is not having the connections to make it happen. So once the connection to hunting has been severed in your family, you're cut off and everything is a lot harder. So um, in some cases, those connections have been cut off for a long time. In some cases, um, situations we're talking about immigrant groups. In some situations, we're talking about groups that come from cultures where maybe there wasn't a lot of hunting, but people are interested in it because, I mean, it's a fundamentally human thing to do. And people like the idea of making their own food happen, whether it's growing a tomato in their yard or anything else. So people want to hunt. I want to help them. Um, Diversity is really important strategically to us. And I just, uh, I have always loved diversity. I was raised that way. That's how my mom raised me. It's always been really important to me. So if I'm in a pursuit that just like, and, and believe me, I have nothing against white males, nothing at all. I do want to see us look more balanced though, because um, it should not feel like it should not feel to anyone like it's reserved for just the white guys. Um, I don't. And, I don't know anybody that's making that claim. No, 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 no. I don't. I agree. I agree. No one's making that claim. But it sure looks like that. Now, I mean, if I could, like, I, I love there, taking out-of-state people to my refuges because they're super, super diverse compared to hunting anywhere else in this country. But if something looks like a white male institution, no one has to make the claim that they're trying to keep it that way. It just looks that way. I mean, people infer a lot. People don't wait for, you know, careful explanations about things. People just say, oh, that doesn't look like I'm welcome there. You you can measure anything you want and you're not going to find equality. Um, You're not, you are, you're not going to find equal representation of all groups in any human domain. Right. But you can change. 
I mean, you can make change. I have seen change happen in my 17 seasons of hunting. I have gone from hardly seeing any other women where I hunt to seeing a lot of women where I hunt. I have gone from seeing mostly white guys to, in many places, like hearing a lot of people speaking different languages where I hunt. I just Um, don't care about, I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they talk about, like what they, they, what, what gender, I don't care what sexual preference. I don't care what race. (laughs) I just don't want any more. I don't right, but, want. But that's I don't the thing. If you freeze it, if you freeze it in time, you've frozen that imbalance makeup. I, I that's care the problem. About the, I care about the existing. I'm the one person with a tiny, tiny, tiny little voice on a tiny little podcast saying, "I care about the existing hunting community," and that's why I don't want any more hunters. I also care about wildlife. here's the here's the here is the standard the mainstream view hunting is conservation we need more hunters for conservation have you ever looked at the data on what hunting pressure does to wildlife no okay i would love for you to share that with me i have because it's a great topic of discussion in the duck hunting community Okay, so if you get in Google Scholar, you can, you'll find duck articles. I, I'm on Instagram now. I have a Insta, Have you seen our Instagram? Uh-huh. Okay, so there's a post that I put, a, put on there just a couple weeks ago on gadwalls. Did okay. you see that? I did not. I'll go back and look. Well, um, hunting pressure has a, has a pretty, pretty large negative impact on lipid storage in gadwalls they 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 determined this through a five-year study mm-hmm. in um in i think it was alabama some mm-hmm. southeastern state where there's two hunting seasons in the fall yeah the split and there's, a, and there's a break between them and lipid storage goes up dramatically in that break mm-hmm and then plateaus and actually goes down afterwards. It's fairly level beforehand during yeah. the first day. So, and then lipid store, lipid concentrations are highly important for egg quality. There's also data. Yes. There's also data on ma- on mallards um, mm-hmm. and body condition scores in mallards. But that's why the that's why the season ends January 31st, so they have time to stock up their fat before they head north to breed. I just don't think that um, anything. I don't think that. I don't think that our knowledge of wildlife biology is so good that we have it all dialed in and there's no negative consequences to wildlife from hunting pressure. Um, Look at, I mean, there's other, I mean, every time they go to look, they find something negative. So it's just way more complicated than to say hunting is conservation. We just did put out a post. Uh, on these two subpopulations of elk in Wyoming, one mm. of them, one of them overwinters on private land. The other one, it's wintering grounds, is on public land. Um, the one that that intrinsically migrates to private land, that herd vacates the mountain en masse on September first when bow bow hunting season starts mm-hmm. and if you and the forge quality down low they measured this through lidar um is way lower on that 
over private overwintering ground as would be expected. That's mm-hmm. why they go up in the elk go up in the mountains in the first place is they're chasing um uh um ni- nitrogen content in the forage. Um so they subject they're like, I we would rather be up high, but I don't we don't want to be around all those hunters. So they are down low for two months while the other ones are like, even if we go down low, we're going to deal with hunters. So we're going to stay up here. So they subject themselves to lower forage quality, which has a fitness cost. There's also, um, data from Scandinavia on the effects of hunting pressure, intense hunting pressure on sexually selected infanticide rates and brown bears. There's Mm -hmm. data on litter sizes and in pigs uh, wild boars, uh, birth timings, cortisol levels, uh, in. Okay. Hunger. I have a hard time believing that wild boars are impacted by hunting because or hunting pressure. Because it doesn't matter. That's just a just species. If they okay. are, that's where they looked. Yeah. Hmm. And like, so like if, if it, it's just like, it's just not going to be just wild boars. Yeah. No, no. I, the hunting pressure thing is real. And, and so I this, think- so that, and, and then another thing is, we need more the we the the weed we need more hunters to maintain our rights thing. I mean, I'd love to see some data on that. I put out some data on our Instagram and I got lambasted for it, but the, it was mainly a call to get some data. Like, where's the data? Because here's some data. New Zealand, one five one point five percent of hunters, one five point five percent of the populace hunts, zero hunting bans. Canada. Three percent hunt, one hunting ban currently. The U.S. five percent, two hunting bans. So if you draw, if you write, put in the least squares regression line on that, what you see is that as the number of the percent of the population that hunts goes up, um, the number of hunting bans goes up, which makes perfect sense to me because it's more people, dumb people putting dumb shit on the controversial shit on the computer, which well, is there's what, that. Well, the, the grizzly bear closure, one of the two closures in Canada is a direct consequence of that. Yeah. Hmm. Well, the, from my perspective, the way I see things going in California, it's not just the bands and we have, we have a third Bobcats are now banned. Um, oh, carte Blanc. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. First they just banned trapping and then they well, banned the hunting just, altogether. Just for the record, that only reinforces my point. Well, the, but but here's the thing: the reason, the things that have been targeted here, and like no bear ban, but banning bears, hunting bears with hounds, which has cut the harvest in half, and the bear population is through the roof and pretty out of control. So what we see here in California is they pick off the hunters, uh, they pick off the types of hunting that have that are pursued by minority of people. So the number of houndsmen and women in California was very very small. And it tends to be like an overwhelmingly Southern culture, which is shot upon um, over most of the U.S. And so they picked off hounding really easily because there were very few houndsmen. The number of bobcat hunters and trappers was extremely small. So they picked that off. Um, mountain lions, that was done by initiative. So that's 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 a different question entirely. And and yeah, the people have a, the voters have a scary amount of power. Like if anyone floats an initiative 
people just be like, yeah, I'll vote for that. That sounds good. People shouldn't hunt that. So it's not just an outright ban here. It's restrictions that take away more and more and more. So it's Mm -hmm. things that limit what we do and make it harder to do what we do. So do you have any any data that says having more hunters prevents that? Or is it just, or is it just like based on some kind of abstract argument? It's, I don't think it's an abstract argument. I think it's based on the fact that as we see our hunter numbers decline, we see our rights decline. So Where, I think. Wait, well, then they, that should be, you could c- capture that with data. Yeah, I'm trying to think about how you would graph the decline of hunting rights. Like, I don't even know how you assign a numerical. The number of bands, I guess. Well, but no, but it's not just the number of bands. It's like, how many people does it affect? How many people no longer hunt because of that? How many left the state because of that? Um, how many people just shifted their hunting to other things? So the question is, like, how do you measure the impact on hunting when there is some sort of ban? I just don't know how you quantify it. Which is another it. way of saying you have no evidence. No, it's a way of saying I have no data. But it's clear that the bands, the, the There's bands, only two kinds of evidence. There's things that are true by virtue of the meaning of the words involved, analytic truths, mm-hmm. or there's empirical truths, which are based on observation. Okay, but we know we know that there are things that have been banned in California. I have seen these bans take place. I see the attempts come down the pike. Um, so we know that this is something that has happened. But, uh, yeah, but we, but, but I, like I'm, what I'm what saying is, if you want to put the, it on a graph with the you know to to compare it to look for relationships with the declining number of hunters, I'm just not sure how you assign a quantity to that to graph it. But we have lost hunting abilities and rights um, in this state. And we have fewer hunters now than we used to. I mean, hunters have less clout here. That much is very, very clear. And if you have less clout, you lose your rights. So, you know, I think all I'm talking about here is like, I'm not saying there is no data. I'm just saying, I don't know how to graph that data and to to show that, but it's hunter numbers have gone down. We've lost some hunting rights. So that's what I got. That's two lines going down. Well, th- I just I don't know how to make one of those lines. Every bit as good as, that's every bit as good as my, the graph that I just described. Yeah. I mean, it's. But I'd like to see you draw it. Like if you said in 1960, you probably, you know, in 1960, what percent of the population hunted and how many hunting bands there were? It'd be. A higher percentage, probably, right? Of hunters. Yeah, I and, mean and zero hunting bands. Right. So it would come out in your favor. And yeah. now there's a few hunting bands and a, a smaller percentage of the population hunts. It's as good as my data. Yeah, but if I'm okay, if I'm gonna make a graph, I want my shit to be tight. So I'm not gonna like I wanna be I wanna have a way to quantify something so that the relationship makes sense. So I mean, can I put these things out there? This many hunting bands? Yes. It's just the um when you look at the other things that have affected hunting, for example, California some years ago banned lead ammunition for hunting. That has been phased in. I'm okay with this. I I've been hunting, I hunted with started hunting with non-lead before the ban came into place. Then they banned, then they required background checks for ammunition. 
And then they ban and in that same bill, they banned buying ammunition online. So at the same time, they're taking away the ability to buy for us to use the most abundant ammunition there is. They took away our ability to actually be able to buy that stuff so we could get the stuff that's legal. And then you piled on top of that, the ammo shortage that we had during COVID when there was all the supply chain problems and there was a noticeable dip in dove hunting. Uh, there was a, a very noticeable decrease in the number of people who purchased upland bird hunting validations that was very clearly going on at the same time that people couldn't find, I mean, you could not find steel dove loads in stores. If you didn't have a stash of friends, or if you weren't making surreptitious runs across the border, which we're not allowed to do, um, then you could not hunt doves. And I, you, you, mean, you can see what, that very straight line. What do you mean you can't do that? You can't go across the border and buy some Shotgun shells? Sure, I could buy some shotgun shells, but before I get to the border, I have to ship it to an ammunition vendor in California so that they can receive it. And then I meet up with them in California and process a background check. Oh, you really? Really? You can't? If you, oh, dude. Mm, like if I yeah. was driving, if I was driving out to California right now with some shotgun shells. You can bring a truckload. You just can't give them to me. But you can bring a truckload for yourself because our law only applies to California residents. So you can oh. bring it all you want. But I can't bring it back in. Um, and without doing the background check and like me, so I buy boss ammo. I like boss ammo. I'm not sponsored by them in any way, but I like their ammo and they don't sell in stores. So I have to buy online. So to get that, I had two choices. I had a friend in Chico who had a, a FFL. And so I could have my ammo shipped to them. And then I could drive two hours to Chico and drive back to process that, to conduct that transaction legally. And with gas prices where they are, the four hour round trip, just to get some fucking ammo. It's a bit much, as you can imagine. But then I found a store that would process it for me locally, but they charge $35 for the transaction. So like, if I'm just going to get a box of 6.5 Creamore cartridges or 270 or whatever it is I want to get, I'm not going to want to pay $35 for that. But if I'm stocking up, I'll, I'll buy a bunch of stuff. But yeah, so that's, yeah, that's what our system is. So there's the series of laws that have taken place where some people thought they were aimed at hunters or aimed at reducing hunting or eliminating hunting. I think most people just didn't want lead out there and, you know, California hates guns. So they're trying to always limit access to guns and ammo and they weren't necessarily doing it to hurt hunting, but the impact overwhelmingly hurt hunting when the ammo background check law went into effect. It was into effect. It was horribly executed and tens of thousands of people were denied ammo purchases. I remember hearing from this guy, a 70 year old guy. He's just like, I just want to go out and hunt doves this year. And he couldn't get ammo before the dove season ended. It's just, it's crazy. So that's the kind of stuff that happens to us here in California. We, you know, that's not a hunting ban, but that caused a lot of people to not be able to hunt. And, you know, I haven't gone big game hunting in a while because it's really hard for me to find enough ammo to go practice. And I'm, I'm not a great rifle shot. I mean, I'm good if I stay in my range, which is like a hundred yards, but I don't spend a lot of time shooting my rifle because it's hard to find places to go and it's hard to find ammunition to shoot. And if I want to stay sighted in, I got to get non-lead and you can't even find that now. So, so those are the kind of things that affect us in California because there is a profound ignorance about hunting. So there are some people in our legislature who are opposed to hunting 
And there are some people who merely have other goals. Our goal is, well, we don't want condors being poisoned by lead ammo, and we don't want people who shouldn't buy ammo to be able to buy ammo. They're not targeting hunters at all. It's just that we're casualties of that. And one of the reasons we can be casualties of that is because there's so few people who understand what we do and who, who, who think to ask us about it. So that's the environment that I function in where that's not a ban, but that had a huge impact on people. And those all those laws surrounding ammunition and, and the shortage happening at the same time took a lot of people out. I mean, people couldn't hunt. So, so um, that's, that's what I, I have to think about here in this state. Yeah. Okay. You know what would make it a lot easier for me? Like you, you strike me as a very credible person, but more generally, I think there's a lot of people that aren't credible. Um, you know what, what would be very convincing to me that people were concerned about, genuinely concerned about the antis and that that's why they were putting out media? Mm-hmm. Is disassociate the personality from the media. Mm-hmm. Let's have a social media. You put all your pictures up there. and. Everybody puts all their dead shit up there, but, and they're, and they're, and they're duck comfy and all this, but there's no person to show associated. That would convince me. And then you could, you guys could have a 1-800 number under there. If you want to learn how to do this, call this number. That's when I would stop, you know, until you guys do that, I have a hard time not calling bullshit. Hmm. No, but you guys are like, so, Hey, look at me, all of you, not, you know, thousands of you, you know, so like, it's just really hard to buy. It's like, why does your face have to be next to the, every fucking elk and deer? If you're so, you know, that seems like the, you have more pixels for showing the beautiful animal that you're trying to show this beautiful animal to save hunting and bring more people in to save hunting. You have more pixels to devote to the dead animal. If your face wasn't in it. All right. So you're using the word you and I'm not talking about you. <laughs> okay. That's, that's good. Cause like, I look at myself as like my Instagram feed. It is so not I'm personality about driven. Everybody that everybody. Yeah. But you still, you know, you have your saying mm-hmm. on there. You yeah. Know, it's like, I'm talking about everybody that does hunting media. Like I'm the one person that's talking about this shit that doesn't do it. That like other people listen to a tiny, tiny bit. You know, so I'm saying that's my challenge to all you, all you guys, if you're doing it for this great, just reason of protecting the future, then why does your face have to be all over it? (laughs) Well, I, the, yeah, the whole social media personality thing is just, I'll make the account for y'all. You guys stop all your accounts and I'll have it. I'll manage the whole thing for you. Here's a duck. Here's a deer. You know, you guys could even, I'll black out your faces for you. I'll do that part. I'm good at photo editing. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I would have no objection to. Oh, that's a great (laughs) idea. I'm going to start that. The anonymous, (laughs) the anonymous the anonymous hunting is conservation and we need to fight the antis and show hunting in a good light anonymous Mm -hmm. Instagram page. (laughs) 
Okay. I do. Since you keep saying the hunting is conservation thing, I do, I do have to tell you that in no other form of hunting, like in this state, duck hunting is absolutely conservation. And that's because of how crazy stupid duck hunters are and the money we will put into our places like the, the duck club. So we have 5% of our former wetlands in California. We, we drained them all for ag and now we're building on them busily as well as farming on them. And so we've got a lot of managed wetlands left um, 5% of what we used to have and 60% to two thirds of that is in private hands. So though that means it's mostly hunt run by duck clubs TNC runs some of it and TNC allows hunting on some of its properties, but not all of its properties. But mostly people who are crazy enough to do this are duck hunters because they just want to be able to duck hunt. So there's clubs that I know of where friends of mine, they bought a bunch of rice land. They converted it back to natural marsh. They have a gorgeous club. I think it's four or 500 acres. They put as much money into it as they would if it was a farm and they don't have a crop. All they have is ducks. They do this. So they, and I have no idea what their annual expenses are per member, but I'm, I know it's tens of thousands and they do this so they can hunt in the mornings, two days a week for 15 weeks a year. And I, when I was magazine editor, they had an opening and they advertised in my classifieds. So that's, you know, don't, don't generally ask people a lot of questions about the cost of their clubs, but the buy-in cost for that club, if you want to be a member, and I think it's like a four or five member club. It was 1.25 million. And oh my God. Right. So this club I, is pristine. Know, like, it's I gorgeous. Wouldn't pay, I wouldn't pay. I, I have zero, and I'm like zero interest in paying to hunt. Um, I would rather, well, and, I would, I would stay home. But you, okay, one, you come from a different place. And two, all these guys are like, no, no, I would, pay, I, it, it's not, no matter where I was. It's like right, that's why I got when I was a little kid. I got into it because I thought it was cool to get dinner by my wits, right? And then right. you start like paying for it. That makes it into golf. Ugh, yeah, not quite. Although, oh, although it some, is. it's like although it's, some, some, like, it's yeah, just no, like these, of course you're going to get something. If you throw uh, enough yes. money at it, of course you're going to get something. No, at these clubs, yes, of course they're going to get something because they manage their pressure extremely well. They they have all kinds of rules that limit pressure, so they always have lots of. Well, they have relative to other areas they have lots of ducks on them but another thing being, I, wait oh, wait, wait no, I finish. to finish, finish the point about hunting is conservation if you got rid of duck hunting overnight in california which i don't think is going to happen because duck hunters are fabulous well they're wealthier and more educated as a whole than the general population so they tend to have a lot of money and in california they have obviously the kind of money to live in, to buy into duck clubs like that but if you are were they white overwhelmingly white male well i thought even, you said that that's the problem Right. But yeah, we're, we're working on it, but like you don't buy into a $1.25 million duck club the year you start duck hunting. It's like, you got to work on getting your decoys first and then you oh, worry about a club. I thought you, but, you're, now you're saying duck like, hunting secure because there's a bunch of white people that do it. No, what I'm Medical, saying, you're saying duck hunting no, 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 is no, no, not no, no, secure because there's not enough minorities. No, day. no. Hunting in general is under threat because it looks 
among the reasons it's under threat is because it does not look like the population of the state. Oh, duck yeah. hunting, duck hunting uh, in this state, if someone wants to attack a form of hunting and the people who do that are influential and make campaign contributions and also are Democrats, then then you have a, a good chance of protecting that form of hunting. But what I'm saying, the, the point about hunting is conservation is with these duck hunting properties, if duck hunting were to end overnight, just hypothetical, um, that means we would lose 60 to 65% of the managed wetlands in California because the duck clubs aren't going to pay to pump groundwater in a drought to make sure there's food and water for the ducks. They're not going to pay all these expensive fees to manage a wetland. All like There's a ton of fees that go with it, even if you don't put a lot of money into maintaining it because you've got mosquito abatement and all those things that we do in California. Yeah, so, but I'm a secular, so, but, but that, I'm that, a secular humanist. But, but, so like, but, but, not, but this is, this is where I'm, what I'm saying is, in this, in, with duck hunting in California, hunting is absolutely conservation. There, there, that is the most bright line connection I have ever seen between hunting and conservation. Yeah, we're killing them, but we're creating staggering amounts of habitat because we're just so bonkers about duck hunting that we'll do shit like that. We're crazy. I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I, <laughs> first of all, a couple points. couple points. Okay. I'm going to make these real quick because I don't want to listen to myself talk too much. But <laughs> but they might take a few words. Uh, okay. You can first, have all the words. First, uh, I'm a secular humanist. So the only, the, the value that wildlife brings, the they're in, they don't have any intrinsic value. They're only a value in as much as they're valuable to us. So when they're, when they're all like on in the hands of a few private individuals, they have way less value to me. Um, okay. So I'm going to come back to that. <laughs> okay. Point number two, if these, if these creatures are so beleaguered the only thing that's keeping them their populations extant is they're being propped up by a bunch of shit getting flooded and rice getting planted and shit then <laughs> i don't think i don't know man it's just like it's this artificial thing that's keeping them from getting going extinct uh okay first two things they have wings, so they're not held in, in captivity on those private lands. It's just they go there because it's cool. But they go to the other places, too. That's how people like me kill them. Um, but it's not the thing keeping them from going extinct. But if it weren't for duck hunters, there would absolutely be less habitat. Absolutely. And when that report came out in 2019, the bird report about... 70% decline in bird populations since 19, no, 30% decline in bird populations since 1970. The only two exceptions were raptors, which have benefited greatly from the absence of DDT and waterfowl because waterfowl hunters take care of their shit. So um, it's keeping them from suffering the declines that other animals suffer. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. So when I say, when I, when I rail against this hunting as conservation thing, the only thing I'm talking about is, we need to bring in more hunters because hunting is conservation. But yeah, sure. I'll buy that, that there's a bunch of rich guys making really quality duck habitat so they can shoot all the ducks. That's great. I, I mean, I agree with that. That's if that's what hunting is conservation is, is rich guys making it a duck paradise for themselves. Great. But what I'm saying is I don't buy the narrative that we more hunting is conservation. So, ergo, we need to make there be more hunters because 
I have tons of data. There's tons of data available that suggests quite the opposite and no data suggesting that R3 is, is, is that the elk are how and the deer and the ducks are happy, happier because of R three. Oh, I don't think anyone would argue happier because of R three. Like one more well, human being who wants to doing. shoot at them. But that's but then we're talking individuals versus populations. I mean, that's that's always I don't think the question, isn't it? That the, the, the populations of any wildlife species is any better off because of hunter recruitment, and there is lots of data indicating that intense hunting pressure is bad for wildlife populations. Okay. Well, are you aware of any instances where it's like here R three has helped this population? I think, I think R three creates people who are, invested in wildlife who perhaps were not investing in wildlife before no i, no, I didn't no. care about well, wildlife before but when does. i started hunting r1 I care. r1 hmm? does that r1 does that what's r1 uh that'd be the recruitment the re- the retention folks um who are my concern so i'm r1 mm. you can't be mm. r3 you're either r2 or you're r1 um so if you're a retention person you're not, I mean, it's, they're already committed. And if you're a reactivation person, you were, you already are down with wildlife. You just quit hunting for some reason. Yeah. So maybe the recruitment piece, but the other two R's, I don't think that it makes advocates. Hmm. All I know is my experience and the experience of my friends who've gotten into hunting, which is that we care about and are invested in wildlife, having places to live in ways that we were not before. That is a fundamental truth. I can tell you. I'll, I'll agree with that. I'll agree yeah. with that. But so nobody, at the very basic level, nobody will talk about the fact that more hunters has negative consequences that are that you can find in peer-reviewed article after peer-reviewed article. Nobody will talk about that. But isn't that worth mentioning? No, no, it is worth mentioning. I'm just well. Then why does why am I the only one saying it? Like it, I, this isn't even my job. Unlike everybody else, <laughs> everybody else is making money off being a hunting personality. I'm not making a dime, and I'm the only one that says. That it takes the time to review the literature. I don't understand that. Here's, I mean, here, here's the question I have, and this is not arguing with you. It's just the question. And again, this comes from like my whole worldview is about ducks. I'm obsessed with ducks and we know we have fewer duck hunters, R3 notwithstanding fewer duck hunters generally across the country. I know you look at a yeah. whole lot of data about big game and I've seen your data on that and the tag well, that's applications. Because there's no room so, for them because the rich guys have leased up all the land. You right, know, I but, had a guy on out from Oklahoma that's talking about like now places he used to hunt for free as a kid. It's $50,000 for a, a duck hole. You know, what a duck hole is I didn't. It's, a, um, it's in the, a hole in the flooded timber. 
Oh, mm, and people pay fifty thousand dollars a year to lease that up. That's why there's fewer duck hunters. Is because a hunting media has made it so the rich guys have taken all but, the opportunity. But, but here's my question, and again, like this is super duck centric, but. I do a lot of reading because, for example, in Arkansas, the, they've seen deteriorations in the quality of their duck hunting, and there's much conversation about this. And a lot of it is focused on flooded corn impoundments up north and so on. But one of the things that keeps coming up in the articles that I see is that it's about hunting pressure. So we've got fewer duck hunters, but what they talk about is the duck hunters we have have the ability to penetrate all the places where the ducks were able to hide from us before, you know, whether it's the boat that will get you to that spot that you want to get to, or for me, the satellite map where I look and say, that looks like a little honey hole. I should drop in there and see if there's any ducks hanging out there. I mean, there are no secrets on public land about places you can go. And yeah. so we have the tools to go to these places and to hunt, hunt uh, crazily. So I, that, that, that's one reason I'm sitting here and, and that's why I'm chewing on what you're saying. It's not that I'm disagreeing with it. It's just that I am seeing in the field that I am familiar with that we have fewer hunters and more hunting pressure, which is degrading the quality of hunting, which eventually knocks out some of the people who don't want to hunt. Although it, it just knocks out the least committed. Those of us who are insane, will just do it no matter what, just flog it to death. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll poach before I quit hunting. <laughs> Oh, I'm not even joking. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I just like, I'm trying to understand that because in, in my world that I follow and care about deeply, I'm seeing opposite forces. So I don't fully understand it. And then I, you know, I also wonder if there are other ways to manage it because I just, I don't, I think controlling what people do on social media I'm is... not trying to control anybody. Right. I'm no, not but, trying to pass but you're trying to, but you're trying, no, no, but you're, but you're trying, trying to affect to, it, right? You're trying I'm, to affect I'm it and trying to affect what I'm people inviting do. people, inviting people to spend their dollars and their eyeball time in a way that, that, that that's consistent with the things they profess to care about. Yes. You're trying to create behavior change though. And mm -hmm. creating behave in your own best interest. If you're really in it for the hunting, not the hunting culture, not the hunting yeah. entertainment, not the being the the hunter athlete fan freaking glam boy, <laughs> then <laughs> if you're really in it for the hunting, then just disassociate from all that shit. Yeah. But I mean, so I'm interested in how you can and you're doing this you're you're trying to do this you're trying to get people to change those behaviors and that's a really hard thing to do that's like impossible it's like asking teenagers not to, to have fail. sex it's really difficult oh yeah but here's the thing i here's where i come down i think publicly accessible non-pay high quality hunting has never gotten better over any part in my four decades as a hunter it's only gotten worse yeah. And I think it will only continue to get worse mm -hmm. to the point where it goes away. And if, and, but so it's like the, the one hope I have is that people, um, do, do, uh, the nine bullet points on my website. That's the only hope. 
and they're they're not going to but i think that's what it would take for them to, for us to save hunting which is it has to stop being a hey look at me aren't i so great thing yeah that's and like i said social media baffles me in the whole culture of that i don't particularly understand and i don't know how to fight that the only thing i know how to fight is you know how do we get to the other question, which you're talking about, which is hunting pressure. You're t- you've talked about hunting pressure in two ways here. You've talked about hunting pressure and how it affects the animals. And then you've talked about hunting pressure and how it affects the other hunters who are trying to get out there. And like, that's, that's the only thing that you can realistically manage because it's really hard to change these giant social movements because they're not just social movements because they're driven by money. Oh, you know? that, yeah, that, that's, that's why the, that's why um, the hunting nonprofits are completely ineffective now. They are. I wouldn't, so, say, that, I wouldn't say that completely ineffective. Having worked they're, for them, <laughs> they're pretty emasculated. Like what? Big part of, of what I'm trying to do is is to highlight nonprofits that do the important access and habitat work mm-hmm. that are that don't have a hunting bent because they can't. They won't take a tough stance on anything. Anything. We got this group that came, come, this this company is coming into our state. We got this wonderful program that I'm working my ass off to save called Block Management. Allows mm-hmm. everybody to hunt using license fees. Um, and we're raising money for that program and buying appreciation gifts for farmers and ranchers that are involved in it, that are enrolled in it. We're doing work projects to try to keep people in. Meanwhile, we got this group called Land Trust. This company. That's coming in and swat and, and 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 trying to entice these and successfully taking these block management properties and turning them into pay to play. I saw that. Do you think you think BHA is going to say a thing about that? Nope. Hmm. You know Blood Origins, that nonprofit. Mm, I'm not familiar with them. Oh, I've been on their podcast a few times. Now they're advertising for them. Like. Everything pushes is pushed towards privatization, privatization, pay more money, more money. And the nonprofits won't take a tough stance on anything. I just reached out to the board of BHA yesterday, talked to a guy. He's going to look into it, but I, I just feel like he said, give me two weeks. When he comes back, he's going to have his had his ass handed to him. And it's going to be like, that's here's going to be the quote that's outside our wheelhouse <laughs> well that is the issue with um nonprofits is nonprofits live on fundraising you know you're 35 dollars a year that you send to whatever nonprofit you're in if you think that's floating the budget it's not nonprofits live and die with major major gifts from yeah well at some point from people just, with a variety of just, interests at some sm- point they're, they're they're just i i don't i'm i'm like hunters don't give them any more money they're get don't because they're 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 not even helping you anymore they are just the advertising arm for the hunting industry that's all they are you know yeah i don't i don't i don't i don't think i would go that far but i i definitely understand i definitely understand the influences out there but i also see hunting nonprofits doing a staggering amount of good and like you know 
like the organization I used to work for and the hunting access it's providing for thousands of people a year. That's kind of a big deal. Oh, and so I'm not, about, I'm, I'm not willing that. to wipe them off. Tell me about that. Oh, that was the hunt program I told you about. That's the, where they get access to private land. Okay. So some of it is, some of it is the private right. land that has been given to that organization. And some of it is people like, Hey, I want to do a hunt and like kids hunts and veterans hunts and, and so yeah. on. So, okay. so they're doing good things. And a lot of nonprofits that I've worked with are doing good things. So I'm, I'm not willing to, to cast them off and say they're useless. Okay. I'm the, all right. But I would, I would, I think a dollar donated the nature conservancy is way better or my nonprofit. I I'm the co-founder. That of, sounds very self-interested, Matt. <laughs> oh, if it is, then I have a, a perverse sense of what self-interested is. Seeing how I, I I'm spending 15 hours a week on hunt quietly and another 15 hours a week on my nonprofit. I know I I'm, I'm, I'm giving you shit there, but, um, yeah, you but, know, like, but, but the thing is, Holly, I know you are, but man, I am so sick of people telling me that I'm just, that I'm like all of the, all of the like people saying that I'm doing this for selfish reasons and I only care about my own shit. It's just so, it's just so heartbreaking when I consider (laughs) the amount of time I'm spending on things. Yeah. Well. I understand that. I understand. And I, you know, I think I, I I don't hear all the people who are making those complaints to you and saying those things to you. So, you know, I don't, you know, you don't, but you, you do say on the one hand that you don't want all that competition. You want all those people coming in and basically making your hunting harder. So that's, I think that's where I would assume it's coming from. If that's where, if that's what the fucking people, it's like, do you think, that's this is the best way to accomplish that like i make a very good salary i have no kids i live in a place where the cost of living is very low if Mm -hmm. i was in i have a cabin in alaska i have pack llamas um i dare say that i could lease a ranch for myself I can get away with the pack llamas. I can go up to my cabin in Alaska and hunt blacktail and bears. I am the last per I, I, I am so little impacted by this shit compared to most people. Uh, yeah. I see what you're saying. I am doing this for the guy at the hardware store in my local town. that used to be able to hunt all this ranch land around here. And now it's all leased out to some bunch of fat cats from freaking Minnesota. I'm glad you didn't say California because it's always the Californians. We screw everything up. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I could have just as easily, but <laughs> no, I'm like, and that, you know, it's not, you're not from Montana. No, I'm not. I'm from Michigan, you know? Yeah. So it's like, that's not what I'm saying, but uh, yeah. I mean, I think the problems are wi- real. I, I don't think I agree with all your solutions. Um, I, I, I I still feel good about the posts that I put on social media. You know, I'm focusing on things, messages that I think people need to hear. Um, So, you know, we're not on the same page about that, but I think the problems are real and the, the pay to play is real and the, the problems associated with that and the direction things are going 
is the wrong direction. It's getting harder. It's getting more expensive. The, the, the financial barriers to entry are getting higher and higher. And I, I personally take pride in hunting. Well, I just don't, I don't have a club. So I just hunt refuges really hard. And, you know, I spend a lot of money on gas and I hustle and I work really hard and I just walk my bones into the ground to go kill a few ducks. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely hard. And I, I don't think what you're saying alone is sufficient to change it, but nor would I be willing to say that if people stopped doing the things you're complaining about, that it wouldn't make a difference. But to me, it's like the people who want to hunt bring joy to my life because they're really into it. Nothing is more exciting to me than taking someone out into a marsh for the first time and having them watch the sun come up and watch the ducks start flying and see what it's like when the ducks actually cooperate and they're actually about to come in and having them go, Oh my God, I see why you do this. I see why you're just crazy about this. Yeah. Um, That to me, like that feels, that feels to me so beautiful when I can take someone out there and they go, Oh my God, I get it. And, you know, you know, nine out of 10 will give it up and one of them will go bonkers about it and they'll become my hunting buddy. And then they'll, they'll actually, they're kind of my competition, but they also help me. We all help each other out and there's ways you can partner with people to hunt here. So I like, to me, the idea of giving that up and not trying to add more people here, just aside from the political considerations, like, I can't do that. It's like, it's such a fundamental part of my life to try and help the people who want to do this, but but you know, I, I see where you're coming from. Oh and yeah, and but just, just to be clear, solutions. I'm not I'm not against anti I'm not I'm not anti um mentorship. I'm anti yeah. bring I'm I'm anti um I'm anti drumming up interest in hunting. Once somebody wants to hunt, they should have all yeah. the resources they need to learn how to hunt. But as okay. that's not a that, there's a that, that, but there's a, that that's like a different thing to me. Yeah. Um I I too derive a tremendous amount of satisfaction from from taking people on their first hunting trip or taking them on their first trip for to hunt some new thing. See, I mean I mean, I've been doing this so long that there's only a few things that still thrill me. Mm-hmm. So off with a lot of it I get more out of, of a thrill out of seeing it through somebody else's eyes for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. You get, so you get to live it all over there. again. I'm yeah, with it's you cool. there. I'm, okay. with, I'm all on board with the mentorship. I'm just not on board with anything that brings more people in. So, like, yeah. you know, I don't know. And it comes to it's a devil's in the details kind of a thing. Like, BHA yeah. could have a college club and hey learn about duck hunting um learn how to hunt and cook your duck come to our weekend thing Mm -hmm. i'm opposed if bha had a hotline that said Mm -hmm. interested in hunting give us a call and we will set you up with a mentor i am four okay well, I could tell you the 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 former example is an extremely inefficient way to recruit hunters because oh. it's scattershot because it's hard enough to get to people who say they're interested to really cling to it and to glom onto it and to invest in it. Um, 
like trying to get the people who don't know they're interested yet, that's, it's just such a low return on investment. I mean, me personally, I, that's, if I'm posting on social media, it's not to say, hey, look at my lifestyle. You want to do this too. It's mostly, I'm just doing a lot of messaging about why I hunt and the things I get out of it. Um, yeah. But- I mean, the biggest, the big elephant in the, I mean, like the biggest effect, the thing I'm, I oppose to the most are the, the more effective it is, the more, more effective it is and the more, more it's in the eye, people are seeing it that aren't hunters. So my brother's show on Netflix, I think is horrible. Um, I think that. I'm sorry. Joe, I still love it. Sorry. <laughs> I think that Joe Rogan is the worst thing for hunting. So like the more it's something that's in the face of the non-hunter, mm. more horrible. I think it is more yeah. of a, of a slap in the face to the existing hunting community. It's like a, it's like a, it's being a trader. It's being a, a, a sellout. Like they wouldn't do that. People wouldn't do that stuff. They wouldn't put out that this content. If for, if they weren't making money, they'd hate it too. They only like it because they're making money and getting famous. Hmm. You know, I don't yes. know a single person. And that's the most effective thing. That's the thing that's bringing more people in and causing more privatization than anything is Joe Rogan and like probably my brother's show on Netflix. Yeah, I, I, that's I what's know causing more private. Like, so I know, got- I, okay, I know your brother's show. I know definitely because I've just I've had so many people say it. I've never heard anyone say Joe Rogan got them into it. So, oh, I'm, I'm I've had I've had really. many people email me and say that Joe Rogan's not a duck hunter. So, I only talk to duck hunters. So he's not a hunter, he's not a hunter at all. Uh, he hunts, he he quote unquote hunts on private ranches. If, on tags that would cost somebody $15,000. Like you could simulate a Joe Rogan hunt for much less. Here's what you, you just buy a steer from a rancher and go out there with your bow and shoot it. Oh, fun. It'd be a lot cheaper. The yeah. meat would be fantastic. That's what he does. He's not a hunter. He's just, here's what he is. He's, he's a, he's a person that hunters, um, buddy up to when they're trying to get more famous. That's one thing Mm. he is. And he is somebody that destroys publicly accessible hunting whilst doing private pay hunting. Yeah. That 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 isn't that, that is a very interesting problem. People who have all the access in the world and drumming up interest in all he'd have to do yeah. to, to 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 make my ire for him go away. And I like him. Other than that, I think he's a force for good in the world in every other domain. Mm-hmm. And hunting is just like something I'm passionate about, and I get pissed about. But like, there's way bigger, more important things. I think we could both agree than hunting. Um, so every other area, I, I I like the guy, and I think he's a force for good. Um, but all you have to do to make me not be frustrated with him is shut the fuck up. <laughs> Just go do your pay hunting. 
like you, <laughs> I, 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 I don't spend a lot of time watching or listening to Joe Rogan, but I, I don't, I don't think shut the fuck up will work on him. <laughs> That's kind of his gig. That's there's the just problem. Something, there's just some things that yeah. probably are better off without being hyped up. Yeah. I have yeah. the same, I have the same views with, with other, other activities where crowding's an issue and let, where the supply is outstripped by the demand, mountaineering and surfing. Mm-hmm. I think if you mm-hmm. want to surf, just fucking surf. Okay. You know, you don't need the goddamn GoPro, you know? <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I'm laughing because like I can't think of anything I'd rather do less than watch GoPro footage of someone's hunt. Oh, I love watching surfing videos. <laughs> I won't, even though I'm not a surfer, because I just I don't want to betray the grassroots surfing community. So I won't. I I I I per, I I would watch a lot of surfing videos, but I just hate. I hate what it you know what these glam fucking surfer influencer people have done to the their community yeah yeah i i i I wish i wish i could see uh a happy ending to this trend i wish i could and i'm i'm i have a fair amount in common with you matt in that I also, I tilt at some windmills myself and I would like to change the way people think and behave, which is why I say the things I do on Instagram, like eat what you kill is a big hashtag. I always say, of course we eat what we kill because that's what I run into most in California. Like when, when I tell people I hunt, they're like, well, do you eat what you kill? It's like, well, no shit. Of course I do. Why, why would I spend all that time doing that? And I thought that point had been made after ad nauseum over the last decade to the point where it would have seeped into every vestige of society. But well, I, that's now, my, that's my hashtag every time because there's still people who don't know that. Don't so, know. so, so, so yeah, that's why I'm doing that. But yeah, I just, I don't, I, there's so many things where once money seeps into it, it just all goes sideways and mm-hmm. I don't see how you take that back out. The other thing I see is that, you know, things do change. I used to be a newspaper reporter. Remember newspapers, those paper things that you would wake up and pick up off the porch and read while you were drinking your coffee without a phone in your hand. Um, That should have been the whole only hunting media. If (laughs) if hunters cared about other hunters, that would have been, if, if, if hunters, cared about other hunters that would have been the only hunting media in my viewpoint would have been paper yeah well but they don't they care about getting famous and making money and being a being a superhero and that's where why we are where we are in my view but if it a a, a calibrated hunting media i always Mm -hmm. talk about this a calibrated hunting media one that had the best hunting the best intentions in mind for the rest of the hunting community would have been a very a print media with a little how-to content and a lot of a lot of guys, gals, we gotta fight this bill. 
guys, gals, we got to work to conserve this resource. So let, let me ask you a question because you have the benefit of growing up in a way that I did not. And that is that you grew yeah, up but hunting. I know, okay. Just so you know, before asking, I don't, I didn't, I've never been interested in hunting media. No, no, no. But no. Okay. That, well, that was, so the question I won't I was know a lot you. about it. I won't know. Well, but when you were a kid, were you like eager when the latest outdoor life or field and stream came out and were you excited about the stories that the cover promised and like, did you tear it open and read it? Were you, did that kind of stuff motivate you? Because I do know people my age and older who like were really motivated by that, super motivated by that. So I'm interested because that's, you know, that's obviously that's the same instinct that social media pivots on, except that social media amplifies through technology and monetizes in ways that we couldn't broadly monetize across a diverse group of people. You know, it's just, it was all concentrated in the hands of some media. So I'm kind of fascinated in those are two, two sides of the same thing. I mean, hunters, we love hunting stories. I mean, we, we love hunting stories. We love to hear how the hunt went. It's funny. I'll, you know, I'll come home from a hunt or Hank will come home from a hunt. And even if I'm not interested in anything else that's going on, like first thing, walk in the door, tell me the story. And when I walk in the door, first thing I do is show the cats, my ducks and have them ignore them and offend me. And then tell him the stories of all the things that happen on the hunt. So, I mean, they're all rooted in the same thing, which is our need for storytelling and our need for hearing other people's experiences. Um, it's just that it went so sideways once we digitized yeah. it. Yeah. So sideways. It. Oh, yeah. There's just a tiny number of people that, like, they had to tell the whole world their story. And they had never stopped for a second to think about, like, the best hunters I know with the best stories I know, they don't tell anybody anything other than their <laughs> friends and family okay they don't have a social media press i know people that are fucking amazing honors that don't they tell their friends and their families mm -hmm. and they're quiet and they're humble and that's why these people online i kind of have secondhand embarrassment for them like uh, they're putting yeah. themselves out there like hey look at me I'm like, you are not shit. <laughs> you are not shit compared to people that aren't saying a thing about what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I have definitely, it's funny. I, I was, before we, before we started this conversation, I was looking through my Instagram feed and uh, I think there's one where I made a reference to having almost a limit. Um, but for the most part, I think if you look at my photos, you can't tell if I had a great day or not. Mm. Mm. Um, and if I had a great day, especially this season, things got very competitive here because many of our hunting lands closed down and, and there was days I had outstanding hunts and I texted all my friends like, Oh my God, you wouldn't believe what just happened to me. Um, but I didn't put it on social media because I don't want my friends saying, where were you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, I definitely understand that and it's it's probably taken me a while to get that wisdom just developing this many seasons of duck hunting and being around long enough to watch the impact of when you open your mouth you know and that's yeah, the problem yeah. a lot of people but like I a lot of people don't understand that impact. media i think that okay 
man, this turned into a long podcast, but I don't <laughs> yes, see it has. I don't see the difference between um being specific about somewhat specific or very specific about a location mm-hmm. um i with social media or hunting tv and promoting hunting generally i don't i don't see the difference mm. i don't see the it's like oh as long as you're not you can draw people into hunting but don't draw them to a particular spot what you want them to be at other spots that you're not at like i don't see the difference hmm you're impacting somebody's hunting yeah i guess i so it's I just I guess everybody's I'm, on board with it being everybody's on board with that being wrong. Oh, you name the state, you name the district, yeah, you name the national forest, you fucker. <laughs> but um bringing mo- more people in generally, that's okay. I don't I just like there's a false distinction to me. Hmm. Right, so I'm trying to think if I have ever through social media inspired anyone to hunt when I had a blog I did there was a couple of people who well they wanted to take up hunting and they read my blog and like I must duck hunt it's like okay I've convinced you to be insane that's excellent um but oh duck hunting I don't, seems I, like a perfectly sane thing to do to me duck hunting is nuts and it's amazing and it's hard and it's gear intensive and it sometimes you do a lot team. of work for destroys no no well not if you hunt with bismuth only if you hunt with steel that's the nice thing about bismuth yeah no i i have a missing tooth and three crowns oh wow out on steel shot I I have lucked out on steel shot, but the thing that really whacked one of my teeth bad was a jackrabbit bone. Mm-hmm. What what happened there? Uh, I bit down on a bone that was just a little piece of bone in a stew, and it was a tooth. I mean, I had terrible dental care when I was a kid, so it was a tooth that was already beleaguered and had had fillings and refillings a million times. So I think it, the bone just hit a bad spot. Yeah, um, it was already but, a compromised tooth. But yeah, no, I haven't broken a tooth. Knock on wood uh, on steel yet. And and you, you know. are the only person outside my immediate circle that's eating a jackrabbit. <laughs> I don't know why people hate on them so much. They're good. I've never had a bad one. It's oh, like someone's uncle Bob told them they're all. terrible. I don't think they're bad at all, but they're I don't think they're anything I don't think they're nearly as good as a cottontail. And I've oh, done, just disagreed. I just cottontail is just white meat boring to me, and jackrabbits are a nice darker meat and and it's a richer, more flavorful meat. Well, we'll Cotton, cottontails it. taste like grass. <laughs> we'll have to agree not, to disagree. Have you ever have you, them. A, have you ever have you ever had them side by side Pepsi challenge? Oh, I don't need to because I know I vastly okay. prefer the. Jack. I've had I've had groups of people come over to to my house and eat bunny. You know where I do, and the, and so I can say, well, I feel like you have a minority opinion because when I've Given people the Pepsi challenge, they prefer cottontail. Well, you may also have really different cottontails than us. Our cottontails, I mean, 
there was a day I distinctly remember we were doing a kill them all shoot. We were hunting those cattle lands, jumping ponds and getting squirrels and rabbits and just like everything that we, it was that time when everything was in season. And we came home with one squirrel and one cottontail and the cottontail was smaller than the squirrel. So oh, our cottontails are very small. Very. They're very white meat. And so they may be different than your cottontails. Our cottontails like to me are it, it's. I bet that cottontail was just a youngster. It was a probably a cottontail of the year. And Maybe. I, I bet yeah. you have Western. And it was a big squirrel, you know, to be sure. You, I bet you have Western cottontails and you just shot a very young one. Possible. Yeah. yeah. So in that case, yeah. But our, but still our cottontails are smaller than cottontails in the rest of the country. So that well, was a radical two, example. But... I think there's only two. There's the Eastern cottontail and the Western cottontail. Well, unless well, we also, unless we also there's have a, a nutritional thing that makes them smaller. Well, we also have a pygmy pygmy rabbit. Yeah, pygmy rabbit, pygmy brush cottontail. It's, yeah, it's one of those, those things. Those are yeah, I don't think you can shoot those. Those are in those are in trouble. They are in trouble, but I think what they do is they isolate it in the region where you're most likely to see them like you just can't hunt cottontails at all because they don't trust people to be able to be right. like Ugh! tell a difference. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty common management yeah. technique here. So I mean, I'll hunt cottontail, but I would just rather have a jack. Oh, man. Okay. All right. <laughs> I've challenged you on enough. I'm going to let you have that. <laughs> oh, my God. It's the only score. <laughs> no, you Thank scored you so a much. lot. You scored a lot, man. And, <laughs> and like, I'm going to, I'm going to peace out, but I, I really, man. I don't know what the, I don't pretend to think to the, that my, what I think is the secret sauce. I could be wrong on all this shit, but at least you admit there's some problems, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's problems. And I, I don't know. I don't know that you're wrong on a lot of things. I mean, you know, I've looked at the data you've put out there and it's like, okay. And cause I love looking at data and hardly anyone knows how to look at data. So when people know how to run data, it's like, okay, I'll look at that. And you know, the stuff you raise is like, huh, that's interesting. And I like looking at data and seeing how people are manipulating it. And it's like, is someone manipulating this to make a point? And I didn't get that feeling when I looked at your data. So I'm really not ready to condemn you for that. Um, and I do believe in a lot of what you're trying to do. Um, probably going to still keep doing the limited stuff that i do but um yeah but yeah. but yeah, no, yeah I mean, I and man it's like god if everybody that put, i don't know you just use care here so well yes and i and i'm rooting for you i'm rooting for you and like you you think about you think you're thinking about this stuff you're thinking about what's right yeah yeah there's this tension also i guess what i'm saying there's a tension between between the effects of media on privatization and the effects yeah. of media and other things. You yeah. Know? And yeah, I, I just, I wish I, I just wish I felt better about the future. You know, it's interesting. I hunted in New Zealand a couple of years ago and I know I'm going to, I got to shut up eventually because I'm sure you, you probably want to eat dinner, but um, I hunted in New Zealand and it's fascinating in New Zealand, they've lost even more of their wetlands. So we have in California, they lost like 99%. And I was talking to a biologist while I was there and um, I was trying to figure out why they'd lost it. And he said, well, sheep farmers just found it more profitable to fill in their wetlands because then they could farm more sheep. And we had also learned on that trip that 
it is illegal to charge people to hunt on your land in New Zealand. And to me, as a Californian, I looked at that and said, oh, they took away the monetary Whoa. value of wetlands, so the wetlands went away. Like, if there's monetary value to wetlands, oh. you'll save them. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, so oh, New Zealand oh, has oh. this good hearted thing where it's like, what the hell are you doing charging people money to hunt on your land? It's like, that's a good instinct. I like that. But, but, but it took away the incentive. So yeah, that's. Yeah. Are there parallel? Like, would the effect be the, I don't, would the effect be the same here? I'm trying to think around here. It wouldn't. It's not like if you may lands around here, I'm not saying the rest of the, I'm just saying around in, in the mm-hmm. mixed mixed grass prairie ecosystem where I live, mm-hmm. lands wouldn't be managed differently if you couldn't charge people to hunt. I think what would be different here, the biggest thing, like the duck clubs are going to be duck clubs, and the duck clubs don't like let people pay to come hunt there. Those hunts are for them. That's their special place. Okay, right. the, the place where it would make the biggest difference is right now uh, goose hunting guides lock up access to all the rice fields where the geese come down. So, and they actually are pretty cutthroat with each other about it too. Um, If you want to hunt turkeys in this state, good luck because anyone who's got turkeys on their land um, has least rights to a guide. So that's where, that's where we see the property owner making money from it. And, you know, if they're farmer, rancher, whatever, you kind of can't blame people for making the money, but dang, then it just locks it up. Like I hardly turkey hunt here because public land is, I'm not going to, people get a little crazy turkey hunting and shoot at stuff that moves and stuff. So I don't really want to be out there for that, but I also don't want to pay $350 to kill a bird, you know, this big. I mean, it's just like, it's just weird. And yeah. and that's that's where we see a lot of the pay to play. That's where that stuff is locked up by money. Stuff so, and pigs. We got a lot of pigs in California. Um, most of the land where the pigs are is locked up and leased out to guides. Or uh, and if you hunt them on public land, the pigs have gone nocturnal. And even though they're invasive, they don't let us do nocturnal hunting here. So I say pigs and turkeys and goose hunting is where we see that the most. So if they were to ban that kind of stuff here, that's where I would see the big difference. And then the question is, could we ever go back to the culture? of knock on the farmer's door and see if you can hunt. I mean, first of all, farm consolidation is a huge issue. You can knock on a door and ain't necessarily the guy who owns it, but you know, the culture of knocking on a door and asking to hunt just doesn't exist here. I go to other States where there is that culture or where land is posted. I did a hunt in Wyoming where we hunted on a lot of land that the, you know, land, the landowners agree to let the public hunt on it. And it's, you know, public has access to this and you can go hunt it. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> Can't yeah. do this in California. It's really cool. Well, and you're gonna be you're able to do it less and less in Wyoming, and it's you know any yeah. any Western state, it's getting less and less and less. Yeah, it's sad. It, it's funny because I've been hunting such a short amount of my life. Um, it's just weird to me that like, and I've already seen everybody's this focused on the on the mentorship. We got a mentor, but nobody's focused on that. Yeah, because yeah, because because you're fighting money, money, money rules everything. Money rules everything. Well, I'm not getting paid a dime, and I'm fighting it. Yeah, are you winning yet, though? That's the thing. It's money, man. It's money. No, I'm not. I'm not winning anything. 
but like this is funny to me we need more mentor we we need more how to like all the celebrities oh i'm gonna step up and provide uh some mentorship they all they all charge for it um i'm gonna show people how to tune their bow i'm gonna show the people how to blow on a bugle tube oh why not um do something so that they have somewhere to go that doesn't cost a bunch of money doesn't that seem more important yeah no. that's it's 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 the harder problem to solve that's the problem it's so it's to a, lot a man they all focus on the oh we gotta show them how you know to a man just, just not where <laughs> yeah just not, not where. where yeah just not where it's yeah. so comical to me yeah well holly um i i really appreciate you taking the time and if you i really i i i i encourage you if you ever want to come back on and talk again and i might reach out to you like you've been wonderful um the but if you ever want to, you all you can i'll always chat with you i'll always you know have you on so um um don't well, i love a good argument matt <laughs> Good. And I'll send um, you that link that I talked about with the that had some of the diversity data in it. It's it was very interesting. California focusing. I did it for the magazine that I worked for at the at the nonprofit. Um, yeah, it's, it's really it's really fascinating data. Like that was the most that was the revelation to me is like the uniformity of interest. Yeah, and, yeah, that, I'd, I'd love to look at that. And if you ever come across any sticky inferential issues, um, that's what I do. On a, in my job, uh-huh. like nothing I've done for this podcast or in magazine articles. It's like making a few charts and stuff on a day to day basis. Oh my god, I am doing voodoo mm-hmm. statistics. Uh, All that stuff. Oh, um, I just um, I just finished this project where I was. I, I developed the theory, developed the theory underpinning how um, seed mix diversity, the numbers of species in a seed mix, mm-hmm. affects plant density. And why that's important is like for messed up lands that they're trying to reclaim and restore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also for, affects nesting habitat. Yeah. But um, that theory had never been put down on paper and it took me mm-hmm. month it took me months to do that so that there was um and then we and then we after we developed the theory after i developed the theory we te- we tested it empirically um so that's the kind of thing i work on a lot is developing theory and then testing it which requires gathering data and running st- statistical models so um i wish there was better data in the hunting sphere that bore on some of these issues like, you know, but there's just not there's because if there was, I would apply my, I would apply the techniques that I've paid in blood to learn to the data, but the data aren't there. What I, the data that I'd like to see is what has the effect of hunting promotion been done, been on access, been on access and the cost of hunting. But there just aren't data on that that bear on that question. Yeah. So 
you have to just someone I, has to pay for that research. Well, what would it look like? Well, like, right. What would it, what well, I mean, would it's it social like? science. It's social science, not just science. Would it be a questionnaire? What know. got you? In, what got you into? Like you approach people that had a hunting lease, or that mm-hmm. were hunting with a guide on leased land. Both of those things, and mm-hmm. you and you say, and then you have to ask them what was media pivotal in you being here right now or having leased this place. Mm-hmm. And then you'd have to trust their answers. Yeah. Know? Also an issue like trusting yeah. witnesses. Um, that's an interesting question. Yeah. I don't know exactly how you would design that and designing. So sur- I've done a little bit of survey design, but I am not a survey professional. I a spreadsheet geek who likes infographics. Um, and then I so- think it wouldn't matter no matter what. Like people are like, if you said, aha, you TV people, I just proved it. Mm-hmm. The, the 95% confidence interval on it does not overlap zero. We reject the null hypothesis that um, hunting TV causes privatization of wildlife. They're just going to keep making hunting TV. So it wouldn't fucking matter anyway. Then there's also that. Yeah. I mean, and I think, yeah, I don't know. We could debate this all night and probably still not have the answer, but. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah. Keep up the good fight, man. And and thanks for agreeing to hear my view, for inviting me to share my viewpoints and argue with you and (laughs) (laughs) see if we can see what we can figure out. It's been a pleasure. So. All right. Cool. Take care, Matt. You too. Bye. Bye.